Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today is one of those summer markers, another one that I've talked about in the countdown to the new college football season as today is the day that we finally kick off our annual summer scouting the enemy series. And I am pumped for this. We've been doing this series since the lead up to the 2015 season. Yes, the Grayson Lambert quarterback season, the season that Mark Rick got fired. But we've been doing this series since then Um, That was actually the year that we started this podcast, and it's been a fan favorite ever since. These are by far our most listened to episodes of each offseason, absent maybe like a random emergency podcast on a topic that's got everyone's attention, like, oh, I don't know, JT Daniels transferring to Georgia, or Eric Gilbert transferring to Georgia, or George Pickens getting injured. Outside of those kind of episodes that get everybody all worked up, these are our most popular episodes all offseason long. And I get DMs, I get emails every single summer asking, when is this year's Scouting the Enemy series going to start? When's it happening? Is it this week? Is it next week? Is it next month? When's it happening? And that time is now for the 2021 season. I know I've been teasing you guys for a couple weeks, but here I am finally with a kickoff of this Scouting the Enemy series. All of you longtime listeners, you know the drill. You know what this is about. You know what we do on these episodes. But for our newer listeners out there, I know you guys are out there. You're going to figure this out really quickly. But just a quick primer here. Our goal with these Scouting the Enemy episodes is to give you the most detailed preview of each of our upcoming Power 5 opponents. We don't really think you guys want to hear a full-on, hour-long breakdown of Charleston Southern. And honestly, I'm not really equipped to do that. But the goal is to give you the most detailed breakdown of each of our Power 5 opponents that you're going to find anywhere. That's the goal. That's the goal. Now, how close we come to actually hitting that? Well, I mean, that's up for you guys to decide. But yes, that is the goal. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into these episodes. Okay, maybe not so much blood, but sweat and tears, yeah, I, I, I can go with that. I start watching tape on each of these teams basically as soon as the college basketball season ends. I'm a huge college basketball fan. I just love college sports, so I'm very, very much into college basketball until, what, early April when they have the national championship game. But as soon as that game is over, boom, the next day, the next weekend at the very least, I'm on 
the scouting the enemy stuff. Going ahead, watching tape, preparing as much as I possibly can. So we do that in early April, and then we start rolling these episodes out in, in late June, early July. Obviously, last year was a little bit different. I remember actually doing the Virginia Scouting the Enemy series episode last year before, like, we obviously knew there was a pandemic, but we didn't know exactly what was going to happen with the season. So I went ahead and ran with that. And put a lot of time into that one, which was frustrating because, of course, obviously that game did not end up getting played. But in preparation for these episodes, what I do is I go back and I watch every game that every one of our opponents played the previous year. Well, at least their games against Power 5 opponents. Again, I'm not worried about Charleston Southern and Austin P and those kind of teams. Not really worried about that. YouTube TV with its unlimited DVR. Here I am doing a little promo. Uh, it's a lifesaver when it comes to this for me. So... Love that. And then once the summer gets here, I take a deep dive into the numbers from from the previous year, the returning rosters, all that stuff, and take that along with all my notes from the film study and put together the actual episodes. And it's a deep dive, guys, to say the least. It really is. And for the bigger games on the schedule, like Clemson or Florida or Alabama last year, I try to go even deeper because I know there's more interest in those matchups than there is for like, I don't know, our game against Vanderbilt in what week four, I want to say this year. So I'm Generally, what I do is I'll give you an overview of each team, throw in some revealing numbers, break down each position on the roster before closing out with a very early take on how we match up with them on paper going into the 2021 season. Now, I might vary from that formula a little bit here and there on different episodes, but that's the general formula for for these shows. And we go in order through the schedule, which means, yeah, you got it. We're kicking things off with what might be, I think, pretty clearly the game of the year, at least in terms of preseason hype in all of college football. And that, of course, is the season opening game in Charlotte between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Clemson Tigers. And this preview is one of those previews that might be a little bit different than the rest of them that will run this summer. It's not going to follow our usual formula to a T um, because I have a stronger take on this game. And I, I think this is a game, obviously, that there's a lot more interest in, again, than like a Vanderbilt game or a game in South Carolina. There's a lot more interest in this game. So I'm just taking a little bit of a different approach to this one than I will for some of the future Scout and Enemy episodes over the next couple of weeks and months. But let's start here. You have to give Clemson credit. I know we don't like Clemson, but you got to give them credit here, right? We have to be intellectually honest and give them credit. Dabo Swinney and company have elevated that program to bona fide elite status. That's where they are. That's reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it took Dabo a while to get it going. I think people forget now that he's had so much success, they forget that he was 19 and 15 over his first 34 games. But regardless, who cares? They got it going. How it started didn't really matter. Look at where they are now, right? They've got it going to a point where they have been year in and year out, really without fail, one of the three best programs in college football. And I think it could be argued that Clemson and Bama really have kind of been in a tier of their own over that span. I think maybe Ohio State could throw in there, but I think Clemson and Bama have been more successful than Ohio State has over the past five, six, seven years. So if you look at the, the list of accomplishments here for Clemson, they've played for four national titles over the last six seasons. They've won two of those. They've won six straight ACC titles in the process, becoming the first team in a current Power 5 conference to win six straight conference titles. I think Oklahoma tied them last year. I mean, actually, I think it's Clemson and Oklahoma who both did it the same weekend last year uh, in their in their conference title games that have now won six straight conference titles. I mean, that, that's, that's big-time stuff, guys. That list of accomplishments, it's long. 
And, and they do. They deserve all the love they've gotten as a power program for the past six or seven years. They really do. They've been great. They've been fantastic. They've been as good as anyone not named Alabama and maybe even right there with Alabama. And that's why it might sound a little crazy when I say this. Despite all of those accomplishments and despite their status among the nation's truly elite college football programs, because that's where they are, guys. They are. I'm not trying to say they're not. They are. Again, you might not like them, but we have to admit it. They've taken their program to a level that we are trying to get ours to. They have. That's just reality. But despite all of that, despite all those accomplishments, despite their elite status, I am confident we are going to beat Clemson on September 4th in Charlotte, North Carolina. In fact, I am far more confident in that than I even feel comfortable being Usually, I mean, you guys that listen to the show, you kind of you know how I am usually when it comes to games. Usually, I carry a cautious optimism at best into games. I wouldn't call myself a pessimist when it comes to Georgia athletics. I think we're good. I know we're capable. I've seen us win big games, so I wouldn't classify myself as a pessimist. But at the same time, like all of you, I've been burned before plenty of times. I have experienced more heartbreaking losses and disappointments than the human constitution was built to endure. I really have. You guys have too. So generally speaking, just as a matter of survival, I usually approach each game, especially big ones with massive stakes like this one, prepare for the worst, but hoping for the best. That's my general attitude. That's my general mindset. Prepare for the worst, hoping for the best, right? We'll see what happens. That's usually where I fall because Guys, I, I got to protect my emotional state. I've got to. I mean, I've been in some oof, bad places after losses before, and I don't like that. So, it, I mean, it's always devastating to lose, but I, I've discovered over the years that it's less devastating if you just kind of prepare yourself for the possibility ahead of time. And I guess that's a terrible way to live your life, but it's it's worked for me, I guess, for the past couple of years. But at the risk of my own emotional health, that's not where my mind is here 11 weeks out from kickoff in Charlotte. No, it's not. I'm f- actually firmly confident that we are going to win this football game. So much so that it's actually kind of unsettling. Because again, I just don't enter games of this magnitude feeling this way. I'm not used to it. It's new. It's weird. It's unsettling. Yeah, and yeah, there is, sure, like time for me to change my mind. And to rethink all this, but that's where I am right now. And I just want to be upfront with you guys about that. So the obvious question becomes, all right, Tyler, why? Why are you so confident Georgia's going to win this game to open the season against Clemson? Where does that confidence come from when we are set to open the season against what has, I think, pretty obviously been one of the two best programs of the past decade in college football? Well, That's a long answer, and I'm going to try my best to answer that throughout the rest of this episode, but I would say the foundation of that confidence is the fact that we are just clearly, and by pretty much every measure out there, the more talented team. Whether you are watching these two teams play and using the eye test, which again, I have done. I have watched every single game Clemson played in 2020, and when I say watched, I mean dissected them, spent about five to six hours at least on each game. So whether you are doing that using the eye test 
or looking at any objective statistical or formulaic measure that measures these things, like how talented the team is, we will enter this matchup as clearly the more talented roster number one through 85 with your 85 scholarship players. I mean, pretty clearly. And make sure you're hearing me here and hearing what I am saying and what I am not saying. I am not saying that we are more talented and better at every single position on the field. I don't think that's the case. And that's not what I'm saying. Although I do think we are better at more positions than Clemson is in this matchup, as I laid out an episode earlier in the offseason. I think that was back in mid to late April, or sometime after G Day. It was kind of in response to something I saw from a Clemson site. So I'm not saying that we are more talented at every single position on the field. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, however, is that Kirby Smart has accumulated a greater quantity of talent on this 2021 Georgia football roster in its totality than Dabo Swinney has on his 2021 Clemson football roster. My eyes told me that from the very first Clemson game I watched. James Skowski, for instance, at linebacker. He's a good, solid player for Clemson. A multi-year starter for Clemson at inside linebacker. But guys, James Skowski ain't starting for Georgia. He's just not. Honestly, he might not even be in the rotation. I mean, who's he going to play over? He's going to play over Nicobe Dean? Nah, not happening. Quay Walker? No, not happening. Channing Tindall? Maybe-ish, but I'd probably take Tindall. Ryan Davis, I know a lot of us, we haven't really seen Ryan Davis, but what I know of Ryan Davis, what I have seen of him, I don't know, man. I think he's more talented than Skalski. He doesn't have the experience and the productivity of Skalski at this point in his career. He hasn't had the opportunities, but talent-wise, might be taking Ryan Davis. Let's take another player for Clemson, another projected starter, Lynn J. Dixon, the odds-on favorite to open the season for Clemson at running back to replace Travis Etienne. I don't think he'd crack the top four in our running back rotation. I mean, what? He's better than Zeus? Better than James Cook? Better than Kendall Milton? Better than Kenny McIntosh? No, I don't think so. And it's not just the starters. Clemson has really good players. Most of their starters are really good players. They are one of the five to six most talented teams in America. But it's the depth, honestly, more than anything, that, that I really like going to this matchup. I mean, did you guys watch the first Notre Dame game or the semifinal game against Ohio State when Skowski, for example, wasn't playing? Skowski's a good player, but when he wasn't in there, there was a dramatic drop-off from most of their starters to their backups at most positions. They have really good players. They just don't have as many really good players as we do. They don't have the quality depth like we do to roll guys in and out. Their roster is really good. It is. They're Clemson. It's a good roster. It's a great roster. It just isn't where ours is, again, 1 through 85 with their scholarship players. Don't trust me. Don't want to say my word for it. Don't trust my eye test evaluations. Okay, fair. I, I can accept that. That's fine. I got you. Well, what if I told you that over the past five seasons, which would account for every player on either of these rosters, I guess save for old man Rivers, Julian Rochester, right? I God, man, he's, I think this is year six, right? It's year six for Julian. I remember when he was being recruited back when Mark Rick was the coach. I think it was the very last dog night, which used to be, if you guys don't know what dog night was, I'm sure a lot of you remember this. It was like the big Mark Rick recruiting event every summer. And I would always sneak in there. I live here in Athens. You guys know that. So I, I kind of sneak in and just pretend I'm somebody when I'm really a nobody and just kind of watch the players work out, see what's going on behind the scenes. And I remember seeing Julian Rochester there. And I remember like, honestly, I remember like what I remember most about Julian there was like how gigantic his gut was. Like, 
he was just really out of shape because he had, he had a, a, was it a knee injury, some sort of leg injury, and he just couldn't really work out, couldn't run, and man, he got huge, like, and not in a good way. But now he's got himself in good shape now. But I, I remember that from Julian. That was so long ago. But outside of him, it would account for every player in either of these rosters. But over the past five seasons, Clemson has, on average, finished with the number eight overall recruiting class according to the 247 composite which is really good. Top 10, that's awesome. That's like Mark Rick level stuff, right? Like always right around the top 10, but never really inside the top five consistently or anything like that. Good, but not, I wouldn't say elite recruiting. Very, very, very good, but not quite like top three level elite recruiting status. While on the other hand, Georgia has finished with the number two overall class on average over that same time span the last five seasons. Clemson has not finished higher than number three overall in the team rankings in that span. They only did that once over the last five years, while the Dogs have put together two number one classes and a number two class to go along with that. By my calculations, and you guys can correct me on this if you want. I'm sure someone can go look this up. It's certainly possible I missed something, but I went through this a couple times to try to double, triple, quadruple check myself. But Clemson's got eight former five-star prospects on their roster. Guys, Georgia's got 18. Got 18, all right? We've got more than double the number of five-star prospects on our rosters. More than twice as many. All right. Still not convinced? Okay. Well, what about the 247 sports blue chip ratio? Bud Elliott at 247 does a great job with this. The blue chip ratio, if you're not familiar with this, is the percentage of former four and five-star prospects that a team has on their roster. Sure, recruiting rankings don't always nail it. Like There's some guys that slip through the cracks, some guys that are really highly rated that don't really end up playing to that level in college, but they are f- right far more often than they are wrong. They really are. And, and over time, the numbers bear that out. Four to five-star players are 10 times more likely to be drafted in the first round. Five-star players are about 33 times more likely to become All-Americans than a two-star player is. So more often than not, the higher you're rated, the better you are, right? Those are usually pretty accurate rankings. And according to the blue chip ratio, we are second in the country, just a hair behind Alabama for the percentage of four and five-star prospects on our roster going into 2021. 80% of our scholarship players are former four and five stars, whereas Clemson is sitting there with a really good number, but 67% of their roster composed of four and five stars. That's still awesome. That's great. They are still one of the five or six most talented rosters in college football. But there's a pretty sizable gap between Bama and Georgia and everyone else in the country, including Clemson, when it comes to the blue chip ratio. Now, what is the rebuttal to that? You guys know this. I'm sure you hear this all the time. The rebuttal is, well, that's nothing new. Who cares? Clemson's still been more successful than Georgia. So who cares how many four and five stars you have on your roster? What makes this year any different? All that, all that matters is what you do on the field. What makes this year any different? You know, you know the rebuttal of that. Well, to answer that, we have to explore how Clemson has been able to climb to the top of the mountain without having a top two to three most talented roster. A really talented roster. Again, really talented roster. Just never the most talented roster in college football. Is it coaching? Is that what it is? Is it just that they develop talent better than everyone else? Is that what it is? I mean, sure, there's a little bit of truth to that. Sure, that's got to be a factor in it. But for me, their formula to win these championships, 
the formula for the run they've been on the past six or seven years, it really boils down to three things. Three big things for me. Number one, and Clemson fans would probably kill me over this, but I think you have to be honest here. Again, I like intellectual honesty. You can be a homer, you can love your program, but still be objective and honest, all right? And I think an objective, honest Clemson fan would agree with this. But the big thing for me, number one, is that Clemson plays in the ACC. They just play in the ACC. And they haven't had any real challengers in the ACC in the last six or seven years. There's no one in that conference that's even close to being on their level. Just not even close. So their rise coincided with the collapse of Florida State, with Miami screwing around doing what my, whatever Miami does, with Beamer and Virginia Tech kind of falling off at the end there. Do you think that's just coincidental? Just coincidentally, Clemson's able to start rising when Florida State starts to collapse. Miami's just doing nothing. Beamer, Virginia Tech are kind of falling off the radar. There's no coincidence there. The teams that had been at their level or higher than Clemson for various reasons started to fall down. They started to collapse, right? They started to regress. And Clemson's kind of just been the king of the ACC with no real challenger. The fact is that they just had a much easier path to the college football playoff than than we have had or any other team in the SEC. Even Alabama, they've had an easier path to college football playoff than even Alabama. I mean, yeah, we said earlier, one of their accomplishments, they've won six straight ACC titles. That's incredible. I I mean, that's awesome. You gotta give them credit there. But who are they beating in those ACC title games? Okay, well, they beat a number eight UNC, number 19 Virginia Tech, number seven Miami. It's a good solid win. They beat an unranked Pitt team one year, beat a number 22 ranked Virginia. And then last year, okay, yeah, beat number two Notre Dame, got revenge for the regular season loss. That was a good win. But that's really the only time they played a team that was even really close to, to them in the ACC title game. Really, it was. And then compare that to we played in our three consecutive appearances in the SEC title game between 2017 and 2019. So we played number four, Auburn in 2017, played number one, Bama in 2018, played number one, LSU in 2019. Does Clemson get in? If Do they get in the college football playoff if they played LSU in their ACC title game back in 2019 and they got beat the way they got beat by LSU in the national title game? Do they really get in? I mean, you never know what the committee does, but I think there's a strong chance they might not even have gotten in. They might not have even gotten into the playoffs in that season. And think about this. If we had played Pitt in our 2018 SEC title game and clearly would have beaten the doors off of Pitt, do we get in? Yeah, absolutely. If we played Virginia in 2019 instead of LSU and just trade places with Clemson, do we get in and they get left out? I think if you look at our resume and who we had beaten in 2019 compared to who Clemson had beaten, I think absolutely we would have gotten in over Clemson. Absolutely. Even with a loss to South Carolina, we'd beaten Notre Dame, beaten Florida. I think we would have gotten in if we would have just traded conferences and traded places with Clemson. And this is not to say Clemson has not been good. They have been good, obviously. But the fact is, if you're being honest, they've clearly benefited from playing in a watered-down ACC with no real competition. They can essentially sleepwalk into the ACC title game where they play like a, a, a solid to good team rather than a top three team or like the number one team in the country like Bam and LSU like we did in 18 and 19 back-to-back seasons. So that's been a factor. That's been a big ingredient to their success. But that's not the only part here. Right? All right, so the next thing here, number two for me, is that they have recruited elite skill talent, particularly at the quarterback position. I said they've been on a six-year run where they have played for four national titles, right? 
That's incredibly impressive. Great job. Awesome. Good for you, Clemson. Well, do you think it's a coincidence that they went on that run while they had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence for six of those seven years with the one Kelly Bryant interim year? Huh? You think that's a coincidence? You think that's coincidental? When you have the best quarterback in the country for six out of seven years, you're going to win at a pretty high level, right? Funny how that works. So it's it's just that consistent dominance and spectacular play at the quarterback position. And then on top of that, you throw in their other skill talent. You throw in Travis Etienne, Wayne Gallman at running back, Mike Williams, Deion Kane, T. Higgins, Justin Ross, et cetera, at wide receiver. And you got a, an elite quarterback distributing the ball to them you're going to win a lot of games and that's going to give you a chance to win. Like even if you play the other best teams in the country, when you get to the playoff, you have that quarterback, right? And you have those skill players that can give you a chance to outscore those teams in a one-off game, right? So that's number two. And then number three for me, I think is continuity, coaching continuity more than anything. That coaching staff just doesn't really change. Uh, there aren't new systems to learn year to year. There aren't really new coaches to adjust to. They've been able to keep around their coordinators for a long, long time. And that is invaluable when culture is such a big part of what you do within your program. So that's a big part of it as well. And then I think if there was a number four, you could throw in elite defensive line play as well as another ingredient to their championship success, that championship formula. I mean, think about some of the guys that had to, they've got, had go, go through their program on the defensive line, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, Christian Wilkins, Shaq Lawson, Xavier Thomas, and now you got guys like Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy, that list goes on and on. But the formula has been pretty clear. Play in a watered-down conference that you can sleepwalk through and then get into a 14 playoff, usually as the number one or two seed by virtue of how well you dominated your weak ACC regular season opponents. And now you're in there with the best quarterback in the country, with some top-end skill players to distribute that ball to, and a defensive line that can give the opposing offense enough of a headache so that you can outscore them. Think about all those championship games they've been in. High-scoring affairs, right? And a big part of that is because they have an elite quarterback. Not only an elite quarterback, but the best quarterback in the country. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. So back to this season and why I am confident we're going to beat Clemson on September 4th. Well, let's go back to that formula that I just laid out. All right, let's throw number one out. That's irrelevant to the conversation. It doesn't matter if they play in the ACC and that we play in the SEC when we match up on September 4th in Charlotte. We're going to throw that out. I think that's irrelevant to this conversation. Well, number two, yeah, they still have a guy at quarterback in DJ Uyunglele that I think is going to be among the nation's best. I think he's really, really good. 
but I also don't expect him to be Trevor Lawrence. I know that a lot of Clemson fans have convinced themselves, at least the ones that are vocal out there on social media, I know they've convinced themselves and will argue with you that they're just not going to skip a beat with, with Uyunglele, that they're just not going to skip a beat. Trevor Lawrence, who's that guy? We got DJ. And I just can't go there. I just can't be with that. Like, don't get me wrong. Uwe Unglele is a really talented player. And we'll talk a little bit more about him in a few minutes. But you are fooling yourself if you expect a first-year starter. I know he started two games last year. One of them was a big game against Notre Dame. He performed very well in that game. I watched that game very, very closely multiple times. I know. But if you expect a first-year starter in DJ Uwe Unglele to perform at the same level in his third career start as Trevor Lawrence did... You're crazy. I just, I just, you can't expect that. Could it happen? Sure. Crazy things happen. But to expect that, I think that's a little much. I think that's a little overboard. I mean, since Pro Football Focus has been doing their college football grades, Trevor Lawrence is the only quarterback with a 90 plus overall grade as a freshman, sophomore, and a junior. The only one. No one else has done that. There's been some other really good quarterbacks too, guys. No one else has done that at the quarterback position. He's the only one. Uyunglele will be very, very good, but he's not going to be Trevor Lawrence right out of the gate next season. And I think both those things can be true. DJ Uyunglele can be a really good, even elite quarterback next year, but he also might not be as good as Trevor Lawrence was. I think both those things can be true. I personally believe, and now here's your chance to call me a homer. Take full advantage of it if you want to. No worries. But I personally believe that we have the edge at quarterback going into this game. Oh, hold on, hold on. Don't kill me yet. Again, listen to what I am saying. I am not saying that JT Daniels has a higher long-term ceiling than DJ Uyunglele. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I really don't. I think DJ Uyunglele has some physical tools that JT just simply does not. I think that's true. But in week one, of the 2021 season, give me JT Daniels. He's more experienced. He's more seasoned. I think he's more advanced right now, more polished right now than DJ Uwe Ungle is at this point based on what I have seen. All right. Now, before you just completely dismiss me as some ridiculous Georgia homer, let's go to the numbers. All right. Let's go to the numbers here. So if you look at DJ Uwe Ungle and JT Daniels, let's look at their pro football focus overall grade last year. All right. Now, yes, I know admittedly, very small sample size, but very small sample size for both players. DJ Uyunglele had two starts last year. JT had four. All right. So neither guy had a ton of, of playing time, a ton of opportunities. But based off what we saw from them last year, here are the numbers that we have. Their pro football focus overall grade, DJ Uyunglele was 71. JT, 88.3. Major advantage JT. DJ's drop back, his overall drop back grade when he's dropping back to pass was a 78. JT was 90.3. Pretty clear edge to JT, right? Their drop back grade with a clean pocket. DJ, 78. JT Daniels, 91.9. Another clear edge for, for JT. Now, here's one that, that DJ does have a little bit of an edge on him. Their grade under pressure. DJ wasn't great, but no, no quarterback's usually great under pressure. But DJ was 67.7 in his pro football focus grade. JT, 49.1. He has one area he's really got to improve. You watched him play last year. You know that's true. Especially if you go back and look at the uh, the Peach Bowl game against Cincinnati. Turned the ball over. Did some things he had no business doing. I think that hopefully that's going to come with time. He just missed a lot of football with a knee injury. But that's somewhere he's got to clean up. Edge to DJU there. All right? All right, they're... 
grade in passes of 10 or more yards. So the perception is that DJU just has this incredible arm that JT can't match. And he has a really good arm. It's probably a better arm than JT Daniels. I think I'm, I'm okay with admitting that. But in terms of pushing the ball on the field, JT was just better. DJ Uyunglele's grade was 85 in throws of 10 plus yards. JT's grade was 92.9 in throws of 10 plus yards on the field. Their big time throw rate, JT more than doubled him up. DJU had a 4.0% big time throw rate. JT had an 8.7% big time throw rate. And the average depth of targets not even close. JT was clearly pushing the ball more down the field than Uyunglele was. DJ's average of the target was 7.4. JT's was 12.7. JT did produce a few more turnover-worthy plays. And again, if you're a Georgia fan, you're watching some of those games, you saw some of that, right? His turnover-worthy play rate was 4.4%. DJ Ongle was 0%. So he really was playing it safe, not turning the ball over, not really putting the ball into harm's way at all. But I mean, look, I'm not projecting seven, eight years down the road. Again, I'm not projecting seven, eight years down the road. I'm projecting two months from now. And in an admittedly small sample size for both players, JT's numbers almost across the board were not only better, but by a fairly wide margin. And he wasn't close to 100% either. That's another factor here. JT put up those numbers and he wasn't close to 100% last year. So why would week one of the 2021 season be any different than last year. JT's got the experience. He's got the game reps. He now has a full year with the team as the undisputed starter. He's healthy now. And, and look, let's go here. Even if he's not better, all right? Even if he's not better, let's say I'm wrong, all right? Let's say I'm wrong. At the very least, the gap between our quarterback and Clemson's quarterback has been closed in a very significant way. I mean, think back to, I know we didn't actually play them it, from 2015 to, I guess we played them last in 2014, right? It's Chubb's big breakout game. Let's think about 2015. Who do we have? Grayson Lambert? Who do they have? Deshaun Watson? I mean, that's a massive gap. Jakey Beeson is a true freshman versus Deshaun Watson. Massive gap in 2016. Then you got Trevor Lawrence versus Jake Fromm. You guys know I love Jake Fromm, but I mean, even I can admit, that's a massive gap. And you got Lawrence versus Detson Bennett last year. Massive gap. It wasn't even close. And that's along with playing the ACC, that was a big part of why Clemson was winning national titles and we were consistently falling just short of making the playoffs outside of that 2017 season. That's why they've been able to scale the Alabama mountain a couple of times while we have fallen agonizingly short a couple of times. Like you don't think we would have beaten Bama at least once in one of those games in 2017 and 2018 if JT was our quarterback back then? Heck, even last year, if we would have gotten a rematch against them in the SEC title game, if we would have somehow beaten Florida and gotten a rematch with JT there and him healthy and ready to go, healthy enough, I'm not saying we would have beaten them, but I think it would have been a better game. I think it would have been a better game. So their strength and edge at quarterback with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence has allowed Clemson to overcome an overall talent deficiency against the likes of Bama and Ohio State, those other elite programs who have more overall talent on a year-by-year basis. But this year, the gap between Georgia and Clemson at quarterback, it just isn't there, which means that they aren't going to be able to overcome our clear overall talent edge by virtue of superior quarterback play like they've been able to do against other teams that have elite talent throughout the past couple of years. So that's another reason why I am confident we are going to win this game. JT's presence 
will allow us to activate the skill talent that we have on hand and to also diversify our offense in a way that we really haven't been able to while Clemson has been on this run, kind of get out of the the 20th century offensively. Oh, and and that brings me to my next point as to why we're going to win this game. We just have better skill talent, plain and simple. That hasn't always been the case, but it is this year, at least in my opinion. Let's look at Clemson's skill talent, all right? So at running back, Travis Etienne is gone. Last year wasn't necessarily a banner year for him. It's probably his worst year as a starter at Clemson, but we're talking about the all-time leading rusher in ACC history. I do not care how any Clemson fan tries to spin it. You just do not replace an all-time program great like that by week one of the next season. You just don't. Lynn J. Dixon, I mentioned him a little bit earlier, he was the top run, he was the top running back backup last year, and he'll likely enter the summer as the starter, and he's uh, remarkably fine. That's, I guess, how I would put it. Remarkably fine. He's solid. He's decent. He's serviceable. Like, those kind of adjectives. That's what I would use to describe him. So, look at last year. I know it was a shortened year, obviously. Did not have as many opportunities. Had 190 yards rushing. I uh, had 547 yards rushing in 2018, 635 in 2019. So good, solid, serviceable guy. That's what he is. He's waited his turn. Now it's his time. And he's going to get his chance. He's not especially explosive, not especially powerful. Uh, he's never been much of a threat in the passing game for a team that really likes to throw to the running back. Uh, again, he's solid. He's, he's not trash or anything like that. There's no major deficiencies. But he's also just not elite in any particular regard. He's just not really a difference maker. He's just not. That's okay. He's a good player. He's just not a difference maker. But honestly, I don't expect Dixon to be the guy for them all season at running back. I think that's going to end up being a five-star true freshman by the name of Will Shipley. He's legit. You guys who follow recruiting, you know who I'm talking about. He's legit. I actually wanted him pretty badly in this last cycle. And we made a little bit of a push, but we really weren't able to land him in the end, obviously. He ends up at Clemson. He's 5'11", 200 pounds, explosive, elusive in space. He's also lethal out of the backfield in the passing game, which is something that they need. They need someone someone who can do that and replace what Etienne was able to give them in that regard. He lined up at wide receiver at times in high school. If you watch him, even when he's lined up at wide receiver, he was a running back, but when he would line up out wide, he was like running legit routes. Good player. And, and again, that's a huge part of the Clemson offense. They were Guys, they were sixth in America last year in percentage of pass plays that were screens. Whether running backs or wide receivers, whatever, 24% of their pass plays last year were screens. That's astronomical. One out of every four pass play was a screen for Clemson last year. And Etienne was a big part of that. He had almost 600 yards receiving, averaged 12.3 yards a catch last year, had over 1,000 yards receiving combined the last two seasons. And I don't think that Lynn J. Dixon has shown evidence that he can be that kind of guy out of the backfield. Maybe he can. We just haven't seen it from him. There's no production there to say that, yeah, we can point that and say, yeah, he can do it. Will Shipley can absolutely fill that role based off what I've seen from him out of high school. The only question for him is how much will the Clemson coaching staff trust him in week one against our defense? If I had to guess, and I don't know, but if I had to guess, I'd say it will probably end up being a lot like the 2014 game in Athens. If you guys remember that game where Deshaun Watson was a true freshman on the Clemson roster, but he wasn't starting yet. He was only playing sparingly, like a drive here, a drive there. And he made some plays and looked good while he got opportunities, but he didn't end up being a major factor at the end of the day because he just wasn't playing enough snaps to be a major factor. That changed as that season went on, but when we play them, that wasn't the case. So I think we might see something like that with Shipley. He'll get some touches, but we'll be the feature guy. I don't know. Now, maybe they go into that game and they need some some productivity and 
they're not getting it from Dixon and Shipley goes in and makes some plays, maybe he'll start getting more of the carries. I just don't know, if, don't know if they'll go into the game with that being the plan. But I do expect Shipley to become the guy at running back for them by the end of the season. He's a really good player. Uh, they should definitely be excited about him. And honestly, that's about it at running back for them. The, the quarterback has actually been a big part of their running game, going back to, to Deshaun Watson. Watson rushed, man, he rushed over 1,900 yards, 26 touchdowns in three seasons at Clemson. Uh, Kelly Bryant, his year as a starter, uh, ran for 665 yards in 2017. Trevor Lawrence ran for 563 in his last full season back in 2019. If you remember the Ohio State game, the playoff guys, that semifinal game, his legs were, I mean, I think you could argue maybe the deciding factor in that game against the Buckeyes. And DJ Uyunglele has the ability to continue that trend as a mobile quarterback who can make plays with his legs. And he's huge, guys. He's, he's different. He's big, 6'4", 250, but he moves really well for that size. And when he played last year in his two starts, I mean, he made some plays with his legs. He, he might not move as well as Watson or Lawrence, but he moves well for that size. And look, I don't question his ability to run. I don't question that. What I question is their coaching staff's willingness to use him on design runs this year because there's just no safety net behind him. If Trevor Lawrence would have gotten hurt last year running the football, which as bad as that would have been, they had Uyunglele behind him. It's a good quarterback. But their backup quarterback, the guy that was suspected to be their backup quarterback going into this season, Pumanchun, tore his Achilles in their spring game. And their backup quarterback, it might well end up being true freshman Bubba Chandler from North Oconee High School, not far from Athens, just down the road. And guys, I seen that kid play. Good player. He ain't ready for our defense in week one. So are you really willing to use Uyunglele on design runs when you know that's what you got backing him up? I don't know, man. I don't know how comfortable I would feel if I'm the Clemson coaching staff. I don't know. I don't know. So compare that, what they have at running back in their run game, compare that to the embarrassment of riches that we have at running back. You guys know, like, we legitimately go four deep with guys that would start at most, if not all, other SEC programs this year. I mean, that's what we got. We're loaded there. Okay, what about wide receiver tight end? Now, this is a position where Clemson fans would tell you they are clearly better than us. And I think they're really good. I do. I just don't agree with the notion that they're just clearly better than we are with their wide receiver tight end skill talent. Now, first off, let's start here. They lose their top two wide receivers from last year in Amari Rodgers, who went over 1,000 yards, and Cornell Powell. Those two guys combined went for over 1,900 yards. That's 1,900 yards of production out the door. It's gone. Then you throw in their third leading receiver last year, which was actually the running back, Travis Etienne, and that's 2,500 receiving yards out the door. Poof. Gone. No more. No mas. That's 60% of their receiving production that they've got to find a way to replace. That's tough. I know Clemson's good. I know they recruit well. That's tough. It's tough for anybody, especially in the first game of the next season against an elite defense. Now, the big news for Clemson that has them confident and feeling good is that wide receiver Justin Ross is returning, allegedly, from a spinal injury that, that was initially feared to potentially be a career-ending injury. I'm really glad that it's not. You want this kid to be able to play. He's a good player. You wish the best for him. So I'm happy that he's going to be out there playing, hopefully, and be healthy, ready to go. Now, to my knowledge, he still hasn't been fully cleared to practice and play, but the expectation is that that will happen. Um, He was supposed to have an appointment with a doctor to get that clearance he was looking for in June. I know it's the end of June now, but I haven't been able to find anything anywhere saying that that has happened to this point, but still the expectation. And right now that's, that's where my mind is. I'm operating on the expectation that he's going to be playing. 
And Ross is very, very good. A healthy Justin Ross is a difference maker out wide. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, he was the leading receiver for Clemson back in 2018, that championship season with 1,000 yards as a true freshman, averaged over 20 yards a catch that year, which was fourth nationally. Uh, he was second in receiving in 2019 with 865 yards, but down to 13.1 yards per catch and wasn't making as many explosive plays as he was earlier in his career. When you watch him play, I think there's a lot of similarities between Ross and maybe a George Pickens to give you guys someone that you're familiar with to compare him to. Maybe not the most explosive wide receiver, although plenty explosive, just maybe not the most explosive wide receiver, but exceptional ability to make contested 50-50 catches, great body control, strong hands, proven vertical threat, all those things that George Pickens is. But the question remains here, even if he plays, what version of Justin Ross are we going to see on September 4th? His first game back in what, I think it's 20 months, first game in 20 months, that's something that remains to be seen. You just don't know. You don't know. But regardless... I'll still say, I'll allow this. Justin Ross being on the field, that's a boost for Clemson. That's a boost for Clemson, clearly. It just remains to be seen what version of Justin Ross that we're going to see. Now, who else do they got besides Justin Ross? Now, that's the big name. But EJ Williams is a rising sophomore. He's actually from the same high school as Justin Ross at Phoenix City, Alabama. Uh, He's a rising sophomore, and he's the other name that I think Georgia fans need to be very much aware of because... I think he actually might be more talented than Ross long-term. I really do. I think he might be more talented than Ross. Very similar measurables. He's maybe a little bit thinner than Ross, but Williams might be a touch more athletic. He obviously does not have the proven production like Ross does on his resume, but he's a very talented wide receiver. He started the last four games of the year in 2020, really came on late. Ended up with 24 catches for 306 yards, and he is a guy to watch out for. He's a guy that I think is going to be a big part of the game plan for Clemson in week one. And then after Williams, there are a couple of guys in Frank Ladson Jr. and Joseph Nagata that Clemson fans have been waiting on to break out for a while now, but it just hasn't happened yet. And that's partially due, at least partially due to injuries. Nagata has got 24 catches for 323 yards in his career had is 24 receptions in 22 games all right so he might have the potential it's kind of like i i don't want to i don't want to say he's d rob right because that's just the guy i can think of for georgia fans where it's like okay we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this guy to break out we're really excited when he signed with us thought he's gonna be a difference maker and then we're out the first year it's okay he's young he's through the system gotta get get a little stronger so he can block out there because our coaches really want our receivers to be able to block all that kind of thing and the next year okay well it didn't quite happen this year but maybe next year and then it just never really happens it just never ends up happening the way we thought was going to happen highly recruited guy and i don't want to say that's going to mean the god is fate i I don't know that's going to mean the god is fate actually i think he's better than d-rob i'm not saying he's d-rob but to this point their trajectory has kind of been the same it's like really expecting big things from these guys coming out of high school fans having kind of, kind of made excuses for him for whatever reason. Injuries have been a factor there. They have. But just he, it, he hasn't produced to the level that Clemson fans want him to produce. And he and he might do it this year. Maybe maybe in week one, he'll go off for 200 yards. I hope to God that doesn't happen. But you watch him. He's got some potential. It looks like he just it hasn't happened yet. And then Ladson had 18 catches for 281 yards last year. Another guy with a lot of potential that could break out, but you're talking about a big if here. You just you don't know with those guys. Certainly could happen, but we just haven't seen that kind of production from them to this point. And then you also have Brandon Spector filling their kind of Adam Humphreys, Hunter Renfro slot wide receiver role 
without being, as far as I'm concerned, without being as good or productive as either of those guys. Like he's a similar type player. He fills that role from the slot, which is an important role in the Clemson offense. But he just hasn't shown that he's that kind of guy. He hasn't been Adam Humphreys or Hunter Renfro to this point. And then at tight end, their top guy is Brandon Galloway. He's a good player. He is. He's a good player for Clemson. More of like a, that new age hybrid type tight end that can, can block in line, also spread wide and do some different things, can flex out, those kind of things. And he's also the guy, if you think back a couple of years ago, was it the 2018 season maybe? Uh, or at least that going into that championship game, he's a guy that got suspended for PEDs for a full year and he came back a year later and he's he's still on the team. He's talented, he is, big target, he can run, 27 catches, 369 yards last year, good player. Got to be aware of where he is on the field. And then the other kind of complimentary piece they have a tight end is a guy named Davis Allen. He's a really, he is, he's a really nice compliment, 6'6", 250. He'll, they'll give you some 12 personnel or, or 21 personnel looks with an H-back. And he's a guy, that's, now he can catch the ball, but he's more of a, used more as a blocker than Galloway is. So that's who DJ Ui Ungalale will be distributing the ball to on September 4th. And it's a really good, really talented group of skill players. It absolutely is. I'm not here to discount that. In fact, outside of their defensive line, I think that that skill trio, a wide receiver, tight end, quarterback, I think that combo is the strength of their team. And as as I said back in April, this is a position where I probably give Clemson the edge coming into the season, uh, really based on Ross's his proven production more than anything. Because with Pickens out, we just don't have any wide receiver or tight end with that type of production to this point. I would, however, I would argue that our wide receivers and tight ends, even though the production might not be there, that proven production might not be there, like a guy like Justin Ross. I would argue our guys are just as, if not more talented than Clemson's skill guys, especially now with Eric Gilbert in the fold. Again, we just don't have that proven production yet. But this is, I I will admit, this is one matchup that I'm not especially thrilled about when we talk about that, that week one matchup against Clemson with their wide receivers, especially if Ross is back to his old self, if he's that version of himself. I'm not thrilled about that matchup with our inexperienced cornerback group. But the additions of Tyke Smith and Darion Kendrick really put a lot of those concerns at ease because honestly, like, are we are we really all that inexperienced when you throw in Tyke Smith and Darion Kendrick? Yeah, we'll have one new starter at cornerback if Kendrick is able to, to secure one of those starting cornerback spots. But we've got guys with starting experience at safety. You have Tyke Smith, who was an All-American last year at the star position, penciling Kendrick at one of the starting cornerback spots. And you've got either Jalen Kimber or Keely Ringo, more than likely, at the other cornerback spots. Yeah, you got one new starter in this. I mean, I guess there's m- multiple new starters but only one guy is going to be starting the secondary without really any experience. So maybe it's not as dire of a situation as we all thought it might be. But still, it's not necessarily a matchup that I'm thrilled with when you look at the matchups in this game. And then that brings us to the last part of the Clemson offense, the Clemson offensive line, which I think is one of the weaknesses of this entire team. In fact, I might argue that it is the biggest weakness of this entire team. Yes, they have four starters back, and most of the time that's cause for celebration, right? But when those four starters really didn't perform at a very high level last year, should you really be all that excited? Sure, there's always room for improvement, I guess. And the idea is, well, with a year in the weight room, another year, there'll be another year better, another year stronger, and, and they'll be better than they were last year. And sometimes that's the case, but 
Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you just are who you are, especially when you're talking about guys who are like multiple year starters going into their their upperclassmen years. A lot of times they kind of just are who they are. But they do have four starters back. The thing is they just weren't good last year. They weren't, especially in the run game. They were 51st last year in line yards. And those are the the number of the amount of rushing yards that are attributable to the offensive line. There is 66 nationally in opportunity rate, which is the percentage of carries that when four yards are available, they actually gain at least four yards. And they were 36 nationally in stuff rate, which isn't terrible, but it's not elite either. And if you're not familiar with what stuff rate is, it's the percentage of plays that are stopped at or behind line of scrimmage. It's not 36 nationally isn't terrible, but it's not good. It's not elite either. It's not top of the line like they need to be. Uh, now Jordan McFadden, he'll he'll be the left tackle for them this year. He's definitely their best offensive lineman. I think he could potentially be an NFL player. He is good. I will give him that. He's a good player. 83.5 pro football focus grade last year, which was 11th best among power five tackles last year. Uh, fifth highest wins above average for tackles last year. So he's, I think, pretty clearly the best player on that offensive line out at left tackle. But outside of him, especially on the interior of their offensive line, eh, certainly not that impressive. Really not. Will Putnam at guard is a liability. It's a flat out liability. Matt Bockhurst, the other guard, isn't much better. Those guys on the interior, they have slow feet. They don't get a ton of movement. And they're also going to be working in a new center who still hasn't completely locked that job down. And guys, we all saw what Ohio State did to that offensive line last year. And, and newsflash, guys, our defensive line, our outside linebackers are better than that Ohio State unit from last year. Ohio State was really good up front last year. They were. But I think our unit is better. I think, I think we're better this year. So I don't know. Might be a, a similar story for Clemson's offensive line in week one in Charlotte as well. And I think this is our greatest matchup advantage in this game. Everyone wants to compare the Georgia defensive line versus the Clemson defensive line. And we are guilty of that here on the Glory UGA podcast as well. Can't deny that. We are. I mean, in the offseason, you have to have something to talk about, right? But what really matters is not Georgia's defensive line versus Clemson's defensive line. They will never take the field at the same time against each other. That will never happen. They will never line up across from each other. Not going to happen. What really matters is the matchup between our defensive line and the Clemson offensive line. And then vice versa, the Clemson defensive line versus our offensive line. You can argue all day if you want that Clemson's defensive line is better than ours. Or you can argue that our defensive line is better than theirs. And both sides can make reasonable arguments. Reasonable people can disagree on that because it's it's close. It's splitting hairs. They're built different ways. They're asked to do different things, but they're both elite. But that Clemson offensive line versus our defensive line is a major mismatch. Much more of a match advantage for us, in my opinion, than the Clemson defensive line, as good as they are, against our offensive line. Because I just think our offensive line is better. Now, I'm not 100% convinced that we are going to have a vintage Georgia offensive line this year, but I am very confident it'll be better than Clemson's offensive line. We got three starters back. We returned every starter from the Peach Bowl. Uh, we were 11th last year in line yards, 9th in opportunity rate, 27th in stuff rate, so better across the board in all those statistical categories than what Clemson was. And we got three stars coming back. We also throw in two potential guys that are five-star options at the offensive tackle and Broderick Jones and Amarius Mims. Now, do I like the idea of a potentially true freshman going up against the likes of Miles Murphy on the edge? Not particularly. In fact, in this game, I mean, I, I would like Jamari Sawyer to play inside at guard long-term. I think that's his long-term best position, his best home on the, on the offensive line. But I'd probably feel more comfortable with him outside at left tackle 
against Miles Murphy in week one with their ability to rush the passer than I would having a guy like Xavier Trust or even a Marius Mims or Broderick Jones, whoever might be out there. I just, I think that's an important position in this matchup. And I, at least in week one, might just feel more comfortable going there. But regardless, I think that we are much better on the offensive line than Clemson is. And I think our defensive line is going to dominate that Clemson offensive line. And that combined with a pretty significant drop-off at running back gives me great confidence that we're going to be able to control line of scrimmage, stop their run game, and make them one-dimensional. And it's going to be very difficult for DJ Uyunglele in his third start to beat us with no run game to speak of. So there is yet another reason I am confident that we will win this game. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. Haven't talked much defense yet, but let's go there. Now, this Clemson defense is a very aggressive base 4 3 defense that puts a premium on creating havoc. And they are very good at that. They create a ton of negative plays. They really do. Tackles for loss, sacks, pressures, hurries, all those things. But the flip side to that is that they do give up too many explosive plays, especially in the run game. But that's just the calculus that they have done. We do it a little bit differently. Kirby Smart's calculus comes out a little bit differently. He has a, a different solution. But Brent Venables, those guys at Clemson, they put a premium on creating havoc, which I know a lot of our listeners do too. We get a lot of, a lot of feedback on that and what we do defensively from a, from a schematic standpoint. But they're very aggressive. They're very, very aggressive. They play their linebackers as run-through players, which means when the ball is snapped, they are moving downhill with almost reckless abandon. Like when the ball is snapped, like they're almost on the line of scrimmage. Like they're basically acting as defensive linemen, essentially. They're just on the line of scrimmage. Again, that creates some negative plays. But it also means they are susceptible to cutbacks and susceptible to backs that can break tackles because once you break that initial line, if you don't have much depth in your defense and all your front seven players are essentially on the same plane on the line of scrimmage, there basically isn't a second level. So if you can break through that first level, which is hard because they're playing aggressive downhill, but if you can break through that first level with a cutback or break a tackle here or there, you can hit some explosive plays. And they are there for the take. Think about Ohio State. Really, the past two times they faced Ohio State in the in the college playoff. Whether it was J.K. Dobbins in 2019, going for 174 yards in that game, breaking off 68 yard long runs, or if it was Trey Sermon last year, going for almost 200, 193 yards in that game. They were giving up big plays in those games against elite opponents with elite skill players at the running back position and good offensive lines because when you are aggressive downhill, sure, there were some negative plays they created. Yeah, awesome. But they also gave up way too many chunk plays in those games on the ground. And you know who's made a living running the football over the past five or six years? Yeah, these guys, the Georgia Bulldogs. So there's something else I like in this game. But look, if you look at this Clemson defense schematically, they blitz on almost 40% of their defensive snaps, at least they did last year. 
And they have a lot of success with that, doing what they want to do. They were third in the country last year in tackles for loss per game. They led the country in sacks. But again, they were 76 nationally in 10 plus yard runs allowed. For comparison's sake, we were sixth nationally. Again, it's just a philosophical difference. Um, they were 54th nationally in 20 or more yard runs allowed. We were third. They gave up four times as many runs of 20 plus yards than we did last year. So, you know, it's give and take. You might make a lot of you might get a lot of negative plays, create some havoc, but you can give up some big chunk plays as well on the ground. And those those kind of plays can change the game. Now, to be sure, sacks, tackles for loss, those can change the game too. Can put you behind the change offensively. Again, just a matter of philosophy and what you subscribe to. And we just look at it a little bit differently than what Clemson does. Now, behind that, they play a lot of zone coverage because they know they don't necessarily have the DBs to stay with all the wide receivers out there in man coverage. They're about 70% zone defense, at least they were last year. Of course, that could change this year, but that's kind of what they were doing last year. But let's get into these units. We all know their defensive line is elite. We know that. Well documented, right? And that has been one of the key ingredients to their formula of success over the years, as I laid out earlier. And they, and they guys, they got a bunch of five-star dudes stacked up on that defensive line. But if you actually watch the games, and then follow that up with a look at some key numbers, you see that while they've been good, they've been really, really good, but their production hasn't exactly lived up to the hype and the perception of how good they are. Miles Murphy's a beast, though. Let me just say that. Miles Murphy is a beast. That dude is legit. I wish he was on our team. I can admit that. He, in my opinion, is the best player on that defensive line. I think that's pretty clear based off what they did last year. He's an edge player. Um, he's a solid pass rusher. Maybe not as good as the perception of what he is as a pass rusher, but he's got the potential to be even better. He's just got to continue to polish that pass rush game up. He's very athletic, but he was shockingly good against the run last year as a freshman. I mean, he was his overall grade on Pro Football Focus was 85.2. Really good for anybody, let alone a true freshman with no spring practice. His run grade, get this, 92.5. What? Again, for anyone, that is elite. But for a true freshman, no spring practice, that's just ungodly. But his pass rush grade was only a 67. That's an area where he's got to improve. I think he can improve there. Really good player, really athletic, a lot of talent, a lot of potential. Just got to get a little bit more polished there as a pass rusher. Then there's Brian Brzee, another true sophomore like Murphy who played a ton as a true freshman, another five-star true sophomore who played a ton as a true freshman. But he's kind of the inverse of Murphy, at least in his productivity last year, which is kind of odd considering that he's the interior defensive lineman. Murphy's the edge player. Usually the edge player is your better pass rusher. Usually the interior defensive lineman is the better run defender. That wasn't the case with these guys last year. But his overall grade for Brzee, it was sub-70. So it was a failing grade. Just He wasn't particularly great overall. He was a really good pass rusher, though. 81.2 grade against the, as a pass rusher. 14.1% pass rush win percentage, which is really, really high. He's a really good interior pass rusher. But he was not good against the run. He was 57.5 with his PFF run grade. And when you watch him play, like you're not surprised. Like I, I watched them play before I looked at the numbers. And when I pulled up the numbers, I was expecting to see a lower run grade. And I didn't necessarily expect it to be that low, but I expected it to be lower than his pass rush grade because he just wasn't good against the run last year. And the main reason he wasn't as good against the run last year is because he was still playing like he was in high school. He's running around blocks, freelancing, doing that kind of stuff, which you can get away with when you're in high school, when you're just that much bigger, faster, stronger than everyone else. You can get away with that kind of stuff. You just dominate. 
but you can't get away with that kind of stuff in college, especially against elite talent like we're going to have out there on September 4th. You just can't get away with that kind of stuff. And he also just wasn't particularly strong at the point of attack. He got moved off the line fairly easily. I mean, too easily, honestly, too consistently easily. Now, of course, all of that can improve this year, and it probably will improve this year. You usually make the biggest jump between your freshman and sophomore year. I said earlier that like the offensive line, I don't know how much you expect their offensive line to improve because those guys are upperclassmen. A lot of times upperclassmen don't make as much improvement, but when you're going from a freshman to a sophomore, especially a freshman who had no spring practice, kind of showed up on campus in the summer or during a COVID year and then was thrown out there to play, you can expect to make a big jump this year, and I, and I do expect that. But... Last year, I mean, he was a really disruptive interior pass rusher, but a liability against the run. That's that's who he was last year. We'll see what he is this year, but that's based off what we've seen. That's what we know of him. And I, I would just argue that he wasn't as impactful as a true freshman as some make him out to be. He was really good. It's all context here. It's all relative. He was really good for a true freshman, but people make it out to be like he was like an all-American caliber player for them last year. And that just wasn't the case. He showed flashes of that potential. He absolutely can be an All-American, but he wasn't that last year. Maybe he will be this year. Will he be in week one? I don't know. We'll see, but he's only got the talent. Now, Xavier Thomas on the defensive line there, he's kind of the wild card for this Clemson defensive line. Another highly rated five-star guy coming out of high school, coming out of IMG Academy, but he dealt with a lingering COVID issue last year. He only played 119 total snaps in what was really supposed to be his money year. He had a down sophomore year. He was supposed to bounce back, have a big year, and go to the NFL. Didn't happen that way. Former number three overall recruit coming out of high school. He did have a really strong freshman season. Put up an 83.4 overall grade, which is kind of like Miles Murphy level numbers, right, as a true freshman. Really good true freshman year. And so that made the expectations sky high for him. But he did fall off significantly as a sophomore. Kind of a little bit of a sophomore slump with a 69 overall grade back in 2019. But the physical tools are there. When you look at Xavier Thomas, you're like, all right, man, you, you should be pretty good, right? You got, you got the tools. You're big, physical, you move well. But it's been two years since he's been a major factor as a freshman. It's been two years. Now, could he return to form this year when it's really his money year? Like it's, it's now or never for him? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's certainly possible. Again, he's got the tools. But it's a big if right now. We haven't seen it from him in two years. We just haven't seen that kind of play from him in two years. We'll see. Tyler Davis is another really good player along that defensive front who's been very productive for them in the past in that on that interior of that defensive line. But he struggled to stay healthy last year. He was hurt quite a bit last year. I fully expect him to be back to the best version of himself this year. And I think he, along with Brian Brissy, will be a really tough duo to handle in the middle of that Clemson offensive line. Like our offensive line, I think it's better than Clemson offensive line, but it's still going to be a really tough match. It was they're very, very good along their defensive front. And then finally here, you can't forget about KJ Henry, another former five-star, right? And yet another one. But a guy that, I mean, he really, to this point, he's upperclassman now. He really hasn't ever lived up to that billing at really any point in his Clemson career. He's been good, been solid, but hasn't played at a five-star level. Like He's been solid, but five and a half sacks in 23 career games, I mean, that's that's not like five-star level stuff on the defensive line. It's not, especially with how Clemson plays so aggressively on that defensive line. He should be doing more than that. So, yes, they are very good on the defensive line. But as I have said, I would argue there is very little daylight between our defensive line and theirs. But our offensive line is better than theirs. So I do expect our defensive line to be more of a factor in this game. Then behind the defensive line is a solid group of linebackers. I do respect their inside linebackers. These guys, they play well, they play hard, they're fundamentally sound. But outside of Trenton Simpson, 
they aren't really the most physically gifted group. They're just not. It starts with James Skowski in the middle. If you've watched them play over the past couple years, you know who this guy is. He sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, he's, he's old school, throwback guy, wearing the cowboy collar, all that. He's out there like a crazy person running around screaming, yelling, emotional, all that kind of stuff. He's the heart of that defense. Um, but he's also a targeting penalty waiting to happen. He's been ejected from games in each of the last two cultural playoffs. I think the last two semifinals, if I got it correct here. Uh, and he's not the most physically talented player, but he fits their system well as a just an uber-aggressive downhill linebacker who's strong against the run, but I would call him a liability in coverage. That's that's what I would call him. And beside him, you got another fifth-year senior in Balen Spector, who was actually the leading tackler on the team last year. Skowski missed a couple games with injuries, so Spector is able to jump in there and lead the team in tackles. I think he's a good player. I actually think he's better than Skowski is. I think he moves a little better. I think he's a little more athletic. Not Maybe not quite the physical presence, but he can do some things athletically that Skowski cannot do. Last year was his first year as a star. He ended up being second team all ACC. Both those guys, Skowski and Spectre, are actually from Georgia. Spectre's from Calhoun. But it's, it's Trenton Simpson, who is a rising sophomore, that I think has a chance to be the best of the bunch. In fact, I think it's pretty obvious he's going to be the best of their group of linebackers. He's clearly the most talented of that group. He's got the highest NFL future. He's athletic, long, versatile. He can play in space. He can rest the passer. He can fill against the run. He was very raw last year. He was, but he had three starts and really came on towards the end of the season. They can do some different things with him. He could very well be a breakout candidate for this Clemson defense. He really could be. He's another guy I really wanted a few years back. We have, Again, we have a more talented roster than Clemson, but that doesn't mean they don't have a couple guys that I wish that we would have gotten. They have some good players, and he's one of them. He was committed to Auburn for a while there. We were really closely involved in it, but he ends up at Clemson. So while maybe not an elite linebacking core, it's still a really good group. These guys are smart, they're reliable, they're talented, especially Trent Simpson. He, again, could be a breakout candidate this year for Clemson. And finally, that brings us to the Clemson secondary. You know, I found it quite humorous all offseason how there's just kind of this national consensus that our secondary is going to be this massive liability because we just have so many questions, so much inexperience. But there's been no talk of the Clemson secondary as a potential weakness, even though they lose a couple guys too. But like there's top cornerback in Darion Kendrick. But look, we undoubtedly have some questions that have to be answered in the secondary. We, we've got them. I'm not sitting here and saying there's no questions. There are some questions. But again, I'll say with Tyke Smith and Darion Kendrick transferring in, I feel better about the prospects of us indeed having those answers. But I would also argue that Clemson isn't exactly without questions in their secondary either. At safety, they have experience like we do, but give me Lewis Seen and Chris Smith all day long over what they got at safety. Nolan Turner is good. He moves better than Tanner Muse did a couple years ago, but I still don't think he's particularly good in coverage. Uh, he's a really solid football player. He moves he moves well, um, and he's, he's really good at run support, strong physical tackler. He was last year. His first couple years, he really was not, I mean, missed almost like a fourth of his tackles, but last year he really improved his missed tackle rate. Um, but he's not great in coverage. He's 65 overall coverage grade last year. But I mean, not many safeties are. It's kind of why they play safety. But he's a reliable guy that gave Clemson a boost when he decided to come back for a COVID year this year. Now the other starting safety, Landon Zanders, 
He's just flat out not good. He's just not. He's just not good. He's he had a 66 overall grade according to Pro Football Focus last year, 61 overall run grade, 62 coverage grade, all below average. He's small, he's undersized, and honestly, he's a liability out there, whether it's run support or whether it's against the pass and coverage. I just think he's a liability. He's a guy that I think we need to find on the field and take advantage of him. And then at cornerback, Sheridan Jones is a guy that started a bunch of games for them last year, but he got exposed against Notre Dame and hardly saw the field after that. We know they've already lost one starter in Darian Kendrick, who was their best and most consistent corner last year. Even though he was a converted wide receiver in his second year of playing the position, he was still their best corner last year. Andrew Booth from Archer High School here in the state of Georgia. He's a former five-star guy. You guys probably remember him from recruiting back in the day. He might be ready to take the next step and become a big-time player, but he hasn't been that yet to this point in his career. He has made some highlight plays, like a one-hand interception in the end zone against Boston College right before the half, which is a great play. Almost like a, really a, a game-changing play in that one. That game was closer than people realize if you didn't actually watch that game. But at this point, he apparently hasn't completely earned his coach's trust because he hasn't been thrown out there as much as some of the other guys. But he's a very, very talented guy who has all the physical tools and I expect him to probably man one of those starting cornerback spots. Mario Goodrich is the other guy in the mix at cornerback. He's played a lot of cornerback for them. Um, and he, he played for them in the college playoff at cornerback. Really once Sheridan Jones was essentially benched. But they're all going to play. Because in recent years, they've started to use this kind of inverted Tampa 2 coverage with an extra DB. Basically lined up as almost a third safety. But kind of just doing different things with him right before, right after the snap. Kind of gives them more versatility and ways to disguise blitzes. It's really what they use Isaiah Simmons with. You remember him from a couple years back playing in the NFL now, one of the best defensive players in the country when he was at Clemson. And they were able to use his versatility really well on that kind of inverted Tampa 2 coverage. We'll talk more about that as we get closer to the game. But this is another area where I think we can have some success against Clemson. If we get if we can give JT time, and that is critical, and that's still a big if, because that defensive line is really good for Clemson. If we can give him time we can make some plays against the secondary. Uh, and I think our wide receivers and tight ends can win against them. I really do. I think we can win against their secondary and create some big plays. But uh, that's it, guys. That's it. That's the preview of the Clemson Tigers with a bonus explanation of why I am feeling far more confident about our chances in this game than I normally do going into these types of matchups. Really, as I said earlier, more confident than I am comfortable with. But I always try to shoot it straight with you guys, and that's what I'm trying to do here. So to recap, don't get me wrong. This is a very, very good Clemson team. They are not falling off the face of the earth with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne moving on. I fully expect them to win the ACC and probably run the table through their schedule if we do somehow happen to beat them. They are one of the five or six most talented teams in the country, like they are just about every year, and they have been a dominant program that has won as much as anybody over the past six or seven years. And they, they have. I mean, guys, they have. They've really ascended to a, a tier at the top of the college football world that only they and Alabama reside in. But as impressive as all of that has been, and it has been impressive, none of it really matters in this game. What they did in 2016, in 2017, 2018, whatever, that has no bearing on this game. Their success against Bama and our heartbreaking efforts against Bama are going to be irrelevant when these two teams line up across from each other in Charlotte, North Carolina. What will matter is the players between those lines and the coaches calling the shots. And after extensive film study, my eyes tell me that we are the deeper, more talented team, 
And the numbers back that up. Sure, the most talented team doesn't always win, but it's a hell of a start because the more talented team usually does win. And they are losing generational talents at quarterback, at running back, which have been key ingredients to their championship formula, especially the quarterback. I do fully expect DJ Uy Ungalale to be good, but I also don't expect him to be Trevor Lawrence. And while the Clemson defensive line gets all the national love, I actually like our defensive line's matchup with their offensive line even better. I think we can own that matchup. I think we can dominate that matchup. I also like, maybe to a little bit of a lesser degree, but I do like our wide receivers, our tight ends, which the nation doesn't know about yet, but we know about them, right? We know what we got there. People are going to find out real quick. I like those matchups against the Clemson secondary, which is not as strong as some people make it out to be. I think we can hit explosive plays in the run game against the over-aggressive attacking style of defense, and I think that we are going to win this football game. I really do. I reserve the right to change my mind, but I've been feeling this way for a while. I haven't really put it all out there like this because I was letting myself kind of soak it in, watch all their games, go through all of with a fine-tooth comb and see if I changed my mind. I didn't want to put something out there and have to take it back, but and after a couple months, like I just think this is where I'm landing with this game. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you today. But don't worry, this is far from the last time we will talk Georgia Clemson. I want to give you an in-depth preview and primer today, but we will have a lot more for you as this game gets closer and closer. I've gone on long enough. Was it an hour and 12-ish minutes now? That's a long time to sit here and talk to myself. But I'm out of here, guys. I really appreciate you sticking with me. Have a great weekend. We will be back next week with some more great content for you guys. But I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.